Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. Uh, so we are diving back into the story. And um, if you have not picked up your copy, again, let me encourage you. We want everybody to get in on this and everybody to get a copy of this book. It is our gift to you if you've not picked up your copy of the story. It is basically the Bible put more in story form and kind of just uh, keeps the storyline going all the way through. The story, the story is God's redemptive story in human history. And uh, we started this all the way back at the beginning of the year. Um, we took a break through the summer, um, about six, eight-week break. Um, but where we bro- broke was where the nation of Israel is off in exile. So let me give you a brief recap uh, the f- whole first half of the Old Testament. It starts with Genesis in the creation story. And God creates man for a relationship with him and puts him in a perfect environment in which he can enjoy this relationship with God but also with other people. And by their willfulness and their rebellion, just like us, wanting to do things our own way, um, they fell from God's grace. And, and that fall, with that fall, sin entered the world. And that began where everything started to go wrong. But God, His redemptive story begins to put everything back together. And that's really what the Bible is all about. It's 166 books. It was written over thousands of years by hundreds of different authors. But it is one consistent unfolding story of God's redemption of humanity. And he started, he started way back with a man named Abraham. And he made a covenant with him, a promise with him. And he said, I will, be, I will make of you a great nation. And your descendants will be greater than the sands on the seashore or the stars in the sky. And from that one man, Abraham and his wife Sarah, they had a son. His, his son had two sons, and they had 12 sons, and on and on and go. And before long, this one man now has this family, and the family becomes a nation. The problem is they become a nation enslaved in Egypt. And all of the promises that God had made don't seem to be coming, coming true because God had promised to bless them, and God promised to be their God and be with them and care for them. But they're living in slavery in Egypt until God, through Moses, intervenes. And leads the nation of Israel out of their captivity. And in the wilderness, he sets them up and he says, Now you will be my people and I will be your God. And he gives them the law. It's part of the covenant to say, This is what it looks like to live in relationship with me. This is what it looks like as a society, as a kingdom now, as a nation under the rule of God. And leads them into the land that he had promised them. And in that promised land, the kingdom begins to be established. And strongly under King David, and then expanded a little bit more under his son Solomon. And the kingdom grows, and God continues to bless, except that in their willfulness, in their rebellion, things start to go wrong. See, this is the story. This is your story. <laughs> this is my story. We start out with this God who wants to be in a relationship with us and makes it possible for us to live in a relationship with Him, but we keep making these willful choices our own way. And it always ruins the relationship. It, it undermines the relationship, but God continues to forgive and God continues to restore and God continues to draw us back to Him. And this is the unfolding story. Under, this, uh, under the kingdom, what happens is it ends up dividing into two kingdoms. The northern kingdom, which is tw- 10 of the 12 tribes of Israel, and that becomes the nation of Israel. The southern kingdom is the two remaining tribes, becomes the nation of Judah. And the basic story for 300 years of their history is this. This king rose to power. He did evil in the sight of God. He led the people in sin and in idol worship. And God sent prophets to warn them. Not to do this. And that king died. 
And another king took his place, and he did evil in the sight of God and led the people in sin and idol worship, and God sent prophets to warn them, and that king died. And this cycle repeats over and over again, both in the northern kingdom of Israel and in the southern kingdom of Judah. And God keeps warning, says, you know, you can't keep living life this way. You are to be my people. You're to be different. But they continue in their sin, in their willfulness, and in their idol worship, and turning from God. And finally, in the year 722, the Assyrians come in, they destroy and conquer the nation, the northern kingdom of Israel. And then not much long after that, in the southern kingdom, there's a few brief, short-lived reforms, but they slip back into those old patterns. And in 586, the, the southern kingdom of Judah also falls. They are conquered by the Babylonians. And that's where we left the story. And it looks like it's all over with. There's no more Judah. There's no more Israel. There's no more temple for worship. There's no more Jerusalem with the walls of safety, the, the, the city of God. It's all gone. And the people have been carted off into exile, into Babylon. And for every intent and purpose, you look around and you say, the story is over. The end. That's it. Except God's story isn't done. And where we're going to pick up the story this morning is with this man called Daniel. Because what happened was when King Nebuchadnezzar with the Babylonians came in and destroyed the southern kingdom of Judah, one of the things that he did was he took off a group of people from Judah and brought them with him to Babylonia. Some of them just to be slaves, to just work under the Babylonians. But there was also the nobility and the elite, and they were picked and, and to be trained and to be enculturated into Babylonian culture and to be groomed for leadership. And Daniel and four of his friends are among this group of the elite. And we're going to pick up the story. If you've got your copy of the book with you, um, we're going to be on page 249. Um, if you don't, we're in Daniel chapter 1. In the third year of the reign of King Jehoiakim of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put them in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring to the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned to them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's own table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter into the king's service. And among them who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names, to Daniel, the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. That's where we pick up the story. Israel's destroyed. Judah's destroyed. This group of people are carted off to Babylonia. And among them are these four guys, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You've maybe heard their names if you grew up in Sunday school like I did. And you maybe heard their stories. But what you find as you go through this, and it's actually what we have seen um, throughout our whole journey through this Old Testament, has been that while God works on this grand scale among kings and kingdoms and nations, he also works in individual lives. 
And so where this hits us is if, if you have ever wondered, you know, doesn't God have a lot of other things to do? I mean, isn't he busy kind of taking care of the universe? Does he really care about me? If you've ever wondered, does God care about me and my choices and my little insignificant life on this third rock from the sun? The answer that we find in Daniel is a resounding yes. God cares about you. And what he cares most about you is the person that you are becoming. He cares about your character. And the story of Daniel is really a part of God's unfolding story of redemption at work in the life of an individual. And it comes down to this whole idea of character. It is the thing that, that every one of us, it, it begins probably in middle school. When you start making choices about right and wrong, and some of your, your values are starting to form, and your moral compass is starting to form, and you get into high school, and, and, and it starts to be challenged a little bit, and you get into college, and even more so, all of those things that you were taught growing up, you start to question, and you, you challenge them, you think about them, and maybe you reject them, or maybe you hold on to them, but there's this ongoing thing in every season of our lives in which God is shaping and forming our character. You get out of college, and you go into the workforce, and now you're, now you're in a job, and you know that the only way to really get ahead in your career is you're going to have to compromise a little bit. And it's really about your character. Get married, you have kids, and you try to teach them right from wrong. See, that's all stuff about character. And what God cares most about you is your character, the person that you're becoming. And as we're going to look at the story of Daniel, we're going to discover how God shapes and forms your character. And he does it, first of all, specifically in those little decisions, that your character is formed in the little decisions that you make every day. See, sometimes when we talk about integrity or character, we're thinking about those big moral ethical dilemmas that we face from time to time. But the truth of the matter is, your character is being formed every single day in the little decisions that you make. This week, I got a new car. Went to the dealer. Yeah, I know. Pretty cool. Uh, went to the dealer, worked out the deal, you know, the, the dickering thing, the whole thing. Got the new car. And then, of course, I had to take all of my stuff in my old car and put it into my new car. So a guy from the dealership, he goes out to me with me um, with this box. And I start emptying all the junk out of my trunk and out of the glove box and all that. And I start putting it in the box to bring it over and put all my old junk into my new car. And as I'm doing all this transfer thing, one of the things I'm taking out is my fast track pass. And I take that out and I start putting it in the new car. And he says something just off the top of his head. Oh, you're not even going to need that because you don't have a license plate on your new car. And for one brief moment, it struck me. He's right. I could save five bucks crossing the bridge. Now, that's not a big deal. I'm not going to tell you what I did. No, I'm. <laughs> it was a character test. Let me just tell you that. You come across those kinds of little decisions every single day. You don't think about it, but it's those little decisions that are forming and shaping your character. That's what happens to Daniel. He and his friends are carted off. They're in exile. And part of this whole thing of exile was um, being trained, and they get, actually get into an apprenticeship program to be trained for leadership. But part of the deal is they, got, they get changed. They get new names. They're given Babylonian names. They're given a new haircut, a new set of clothes. They got to learn a new language. They got all this new. And the idea behind it was for Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians was to basically strip them of their Hebrew heritage and make them good Babylonians. And, of course, that meant 
compromise. And it wasn't the big thing, not the first time. In fact, it was actually a very, very small thing. It really came down to their food. See, these guys were kind of, they were like the top of their class. These guys were, they were handsome. They never had acne. They're in their mid-teens, okay? They are athletic. They are well-built. They are smart. Um, they are, they're like the kids that you hated when you were in high school, okay? They're like, you know, the good-looking ones who are star quarterback, who actually gets a, a full-ride academic scholarship to any college that he wants to go to, you know? Stanford, Cal, whatever it might be, and, 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 it had to be an academic scholarship because an athletic scholarship to Cal really doesn't mean much anymore, unfortunately. <laughs> hey, it hurts me too, okay? But these are the guys. And they're, 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 this is a tremendous opportunity for them, okay? Because they're in this, this, is this program, this leadership training. And, and this is a cool thing because their friends, they're going to be slaves. They're going to live in abject poverty. This is an incredible opportunity. The only problem is you're going to have to make some compromises. And one of them comes down to this thing about food. And it says, Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. Now, we're not told specifically what it was about the food that made it defiling to him. But whatever it was, he said, yeah, you can give me a new name. You can give me a new haircut. You can change my clothes. You can, you can teach me a new language. But, but uh, there's some things I am not going to budge on. You think, well, it's not that big a deal. And, and actually, we don't know. They were Hebrews, so maybe it was that the food was not kosher. Other scholars think, you know, it, might, it may be something bigger than that because they ate from the king's own table, which meant that all of the food that the king Eight was food that had already been previously offered up in sacrifice to Marduk, their God. And so maybe that was the issue. Because what would happen is that the food would first be brought to the, before the idol of Marduk and be offered to him. And, you know, just, you would, and whatever Marduk didn't eat, the king got for his table. Okay, and, and that was kind of thing. And you would think, well, that's just not that big a deal. It's just food. And I mean, we all know that an idol is nothing. It's just a big rock that's been carved. I mean, what's the big deal? And, and, and by the way, you know, if you make a fuss about this, you might get kicked out of the program. So just kind of go along to get along. It's not that big a deal. But for Daniel, it was. No, we, we can't eat this stuff. And he goes to Ashpenaz, who is over all of them. He says, you know, we, we can't eat this food. And that's when I said, well, you've you got to because this is the food that you get. He said, no, 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 we can't eat this food. He says, listen, if you don't eat this food, if, 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 if the king sees that you are malnourished, it's going to be my head, literally. And Ashpenaz kind of says, no, I, I can't go along with that. So what Daniel does is he goes down to kind of a lower authority, a guard that's actually directly over them. And he says, listen, please test your servants just 10 days. Just, just give us 10 days for the test. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who ate the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. Not that big a deal. And yet for Daniel, it was one of those little decisions that he knew had a great bearing on who he was going to become. Yeah, there was a little bit of risk involved. He could get kicked out of the program. And by the way, it's those little decisions that you and I are faced with every day 
it's those little decisions that we know, you know, if I just compromise a little bit, I know I can get further ahead faster. Andy Stanley makes this observation. He says, the most direct path to achievement and success is often not the most ethical path. And that's true. And you know this. You know this in your own job, in your career, in your schooling, wherever it might be. You just know if you just kind of bend the rules just a little bit, you could pad that expense account and get a little bit more in your pocket. You, you, could, you could substitute maybe inferior um, parts and, and it would run just as well and nobody would know, but you would save your business some money. Or, or you could make some promises to close that deal and make that sale that you know you can't back up and you know your company can't back up, but you know once you get the sale, it doesn't matter anymore. It goes on your, your, your pay. We are faced with those kinds of little challenges every day to just bend the rules a little bit. And it's those little decisions that really shape and form your character. And he says, no, I can't do it. Can't do it. So the guard actually agrees to the 10-day trial period. And what happens at the end of the 10 days is that actually they look healthier, they look better groomed, better fed than all the others. And it turns out that little thing made a big difference. And there's this line right there in the story. It says, to these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. Now, that's a really important thing. Because, see, when you're faced with those little decisions and you're trying to make that choice and, and you're thinking, I know, I know how to get ahead faster. I know what I could do and I know how it will work out for me. And if I bend this rule, if I just compromise just a little bit, when you find yourself caught in that tension between your convictions and, and, and compromise, the last thing you think about is what would happen, what would God do if I remained true to my convictions? I know what will work out if I do it my way. The one thing we don't think about is, what might God do if I stood with my values? See, that little sentence, these four young, to these four young men, God gave knowledge and insight. God was at work. So here's one of the questions I want to leave with you this morning. One of them I want you to think about as you go home. is this, what might God be waiting to do in your circumstances, in your life, and he's just waiting to see the kind of choices you're going to make. You know how it might turn out if you compromise. You know it might get your head. But just what might God be waiting and wanting to do if you didn't compromise? Because it's those little decisions that are really forming your character. And when you do that, it forms your character so much that your character then becomes the, gives you the courage to make the tough decisions when you face up to them. Because you do. You face up to those big decisions. They come your way all the time too. Not as often as those little choices. But those big decisions. Then when you get to those big ones. That's the, that's the real test. What has been shaped and formed. Actually the story fast forwards about 60 years. It's only six chapters in your book. okay? But you get there. And, and, and what happens is it's 60 years later. And now there's a big moral choice. You fast forward 60 years. This is not, you know, I remember growing up in Sunday school, and I always thought of Daniel in the lion's den story, you know, that he was, you know, just a young guy. He's a 60-year-old man, probably in his mid-60s. And what has happened is he's actually risen in the ranks. And what has also happened in Babylonia is that Nebuchadnezzar has died. There's actually been four kings come and go, and now the Assyrians have come, uh, excuse me, the Persians have come in, 
conquered Babylonia. And now Darius, who's the new king, and he really, really likes Daniel. He sees all of these qualities of, of Daniel and this, 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 this continuity and his choices and his consistency and his integrity. And he actually raises him up and he has plans to put him in, 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 um, over all of the satraps and all of the governors and all of the officials and all the administrators. He's going to be risen to the number one position just under the king. And of course, none of the other administrators or satraps or governors, none of them like it. And so they're thinking, okay, we don't want this guy ruling over us. We want our own little fiefdoms. We want to take care of our own. We want to, we want to be in charge. So they kind of get together and say, okay, we got to find some dirt. Just like today. We got to find some dirt in his closet. We got to find some scandal, something that we can pin on him to disqualify him from this job. So they do this search. They check out his background. They do a full background check, you know, police log, all of that stuff, Okay. And it says about them that the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. You see what that speaks to? That speaks to 60 years of making the right choices in those little decisions. Because now... 60 years later, they can't find any dirt on him at all. I think what God wants for our lives is that we would be able to insert our name into that line. They could find no corruption in Ken because he was trustworthy, neither corrupt nor negligent. That's an incredible statement. So they know there's no dirt that they can get on this guy, but they still got to come up with something. So here's what they do. They, they get this great plan. They go to Darius, and they say to King Darius, Oh, king, there is none greater than you. You have conquered empires. You have vanquished kings. There is none who should be honored like you. There is none as great as you. We, we believe so much in, in, in who you are and, and how great you are that we think you ought to issue a decree that no one would bow down or worship or pray to anyone, any god, but you, O King Darius. You ought to issue that decree. And of course, King Darius, he likes being buttered up, and he thinks, yeah, pretty cool stuff. So he issues the decree. And the decree is that for 30 days, no one will bow down or worship to any god or pray to any official or do anything to honor anyone else but King Darius. For 30 days. You've heard of queen for a day? Okay, he gets to be god for a month. And that's the decree. Now, now Daniel is faced with a major choice. This is a biggie. This is life and death because the penalty for disobeying the decree is thrown to the lions. And it says about Daniel that he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. And three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. And that's the key phrase. Just as he had done before. He didn't change anything. This is my pattern. This is my character. This is my integrity. And yet it might be my life, but no compromise. And of course, that's exactly what they were counting on. So they go to King Darius and they say, oh, King Darius, it pains us to tell you this. 
but one of your favorites, one of those most esteemed and honored of all of us. He has disobeyed your decree. What are you going to do? And of course, you know, kings can't go back on edicts like that because it sets a bad precedent. So he has him arrested, has him thrown in among the lions. And it pains him greatly because he truly loves Daniel and admires him. But he can't go back on what he has said. And all night long, he just, he, he can't sleep. He's just fitful in the whole thing, wondering how it's going to turn out, how it's going to turn out. And he goes back the next morning, expecting to find nothing but blood and guts and bones and everything scattered around. And he gets there, and here's Daniel petting the lions, combing out the manes, whatever it was he was doing, and he is perfectly fine. And it so impresses Darius. Even though he doesn't become a convert to follow God, Yahweh, he makes another decree. And the decree that he makes now is that everyone must reverence the God of Daniel. Not sure I'm believing in this God right now, but I got to tell you, this God of Daniel's, he's something. For he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. For 60 years, in those little choices... Daniel's character had been shaped and formed and solidified. So when it came to the big moral ethical dilemma that he faced, there was really no question. This is who I am. This is my integrity. This is my God. I'm going to trust him. And that's character. And there's one more thing about character. It's your character that will sustain you through all of the seasons of your life. You go a little bit further into the story. Fast forward, it's about another 12, 15 years or so. And now he's an old man. He's in the, probably in his mid-90s or so, maybe late 90s. Don't really know for sure, but, but we know that he's there. He has outlasted four kings, had seen the rise and fall of empires. He has seen two empires in his lifetime. He is now an old man, but he is still pursuing God. He is still trusting in God in everything in every part of his life. And one day he's reading through the scripture, specifically through the prophet Jeremiah. And he reads these words. According to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet, the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. And he stops. He goes, wait a minute. I came here. I was about 15. I'm in my 90s. Does the math. And it's been, it's been more than 70 years. Well, wait a minute, God. You, you said it was going to be 70 years. God, what, what's going on here? You promised, God. And, and this, is the, this is the character question that I want to give you. It's another one of those that I want you to think about. How do you react when God lets you down? How do you respond when it seems like God has been unfaithful to his promises? What do you do when you find yourself disappointed in God? Because that's, that's a character question. Because the truth is, your character, most of your character is derived from what you believe about God. He becomes that character builder in you. A.W. Tozer put it this way. He said, what a person thinks about God is the most important thing about him and will determine the course of his life. And that's the truth. What does he do? 
says, so I turned to the Lord God and I pleaded with him in prayer and petition. And then it records his prayer. And what's interesting about his prayer is his prayer is not one of anger. God, you promised. Or, or God, where are you? Or God, you got to do something about this. It's, it's not, in fact, it's a very humble prayer. His prayer says, God, we have gotten exactly what we deserved. We rebelled against you. We turned from your ways. You warned us over and over and over again through the prophets, and we ignored all of them. We have gotten everything that we deserve. And it ends like this. We do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. So his prayer is, Lord, listen. Lord, forgive. Lord, hear and act. It's a very humble prayer when you read it. God is disappointed. God hasn't lived up to what his promises were. But his prayer becomes, God, I still know that you are a God of grace. You are a God of mercy. You are a God of love. I know your promises to us. So, Lord, based not on our deserving it, but based on your mercy and your grace, please hear us. Please forgive us. Please restore us. And it's not long after that that King Darius makes a decree that the exiles will be allowed to return to Jerusalem. And I think, I truly believe, it's because of the prayers of Daniel. He relied on the grace and the mercy of God. He knew God, and he was unwilling to give up on God's promises. And it makes you kind of think, what would have happened in the story if this teenager, when he was 15 years old, had decided to just go along to get along and eat the meat and keep your mouth shut? Makes you kind of wonder. What we do know is, because he made the right choices in the little decisions, he was prepared for the major big decisions. And because he had learned through all of that, he had an understanding and knowledge of God that could trust him no matter what. And he became a part of the restoration of Israel. Would you bow your heads with me? Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California.